Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Winter Olympics kicked off on Friday, and they had the opening ceremonies where the different nations throughout the world that are represented at the Olympic Games processing and parading, waving their flags and celebrating coming together and being able to compete as athletes. And as we were watching the opening ceremonies Friday night, we were starting to wonder, well, I wonder which country has the most representatives, the most athletes. And of course, maybe I shouldn't say of course, but the reality is uh, it is the U.S., right? The United States had some, I don't know, 260 athletes representing the, the country at the Olympic Games in Beijing. And, you know, other big countries were, were up there. Russia, uh, um, you know, England, I think, had 50, give or take, right? So uh, big names that you would expect to be represented. But then we, we started wondering, my wife and uh, kids, we were thinking, I wonder if there's any nations that have only one or uh, the fewest representatives. And there were several, actually, that only have one representative at the Olympic Games. Uh, there is American Samoa, that's an island in the South Pacific. There's the U.S. Virgin Islands uh, in the Caribbean, right? And then there's the nation of Malta in the Mediterranean. And uh, the, the nation of Malta, they are uh, represented by one woman who, and her sport, any guesses? Yeah. What's that? Biathlon. Biathlon. Good guess. Snowboarding. <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. Snowboarding, like uh, it, it, half pipe co competition, right? So, so I mean, it, it's, if you're looking for like a Jamaican bobsledding team, like this is as close as you're going to get, I think. Now, in fact, so you know, let me do a little, uh, um, you know, just geography for us here for a minute. So here's here's Italy, right? Paul is on the way to Rome. That's kind of where we see him right now. This, Italy's the boot, right? Sicily here is the, the soccer ball being kicked by the boot, okay? If that's the case, see this little dot right there? That's Malta, right? Malta, very tiny, little nation. So, you know, if, if Sicily's the soccer ball and Malta's the the rock in the driveway that the ball goes over when, when you're playing catch or play, you're kicking the ball back and forth, right? And, and in fact, came to learn, it's one of the most densely populated nations in the, in the world. Some over 250,000 people on that island of Malta. So pretty impressive. Uh, in the Mediterranean, so kind of subtropic climate, right? And, and the representative, of course, for, for them is this, this woman. Uh, see, her name is uh, Janice Spittery. And I know, I know what you're all thinking. 
she should be wearing a helmet. <laughs> yeah. And so, but uh, yeah. So, anyways, the, the, that's that, that's okay. We'll we'll let that one slide. I guess she probably knows what she's doing if she's uh, in the Olympics. So, there it is. And and of course, that's our, our transition into our time on Malta this week. The Apostle Paul. Well, let me back up. We're we're in the uh, a series by the Spirit for the World through the book of Acts, and we're, we're making headway, right? We are there, last chapter, three more weeks of this. And, and so Acts 28, we're really focusing on Malta. What has happened up to this point is that Paul and his entourage, Paul is a prisoner, uh, and he's, he has appealed as a Roman citizen. He's appealed to Caesar, and so he started out when he initially made this appeal. He's over in um, Caesarea Maritima, which is uh, you know, Israel on the coast of the Mediterranean. They send him by, by ship over to Rome. They run into some rough weather. It's winter time or late fall, early winter. They run into a storm. They're at sea for 14 days, caught in this storm. Everyone's panicking. The sailors are throwing over stuff on the ship in order to lighten the ship as much as possible so that they stay afloat. And everyone's uh, you know panicking. They're not eating well. And... What ends up happening is that after 14 days, they run aground. The ship runs aground, catches on a sandbar, starts breaking up. As the ship runs aground, the uh, sailors and the soldiers and the prisoners all make for land, right? Those who could swim, swim. Those who couldn't swim, grab a plank or whatever they could to stay afloat. And... By the grace of God, everyone stays alive. Everyone makes it. 267 is, is the number that Luke tells us. Everyone makes it. They're, so now they're dripping wet. Uh, they're, they're cold. You know, it's not like the super coldest climate in the world, right? But it's probably 50, 50 degrees. They're, they're dripping wet. They're just clinging on to life. They haven't eaten well for a while. They're in need of some help and support, and where do they land? Well, Malta. And the people of Malta are extremely generous to them. And, uh, and, and I want to emphasize this point for a second, because some translations aren't super friendly to the people of Malta in the words that they use to translate. Some translations call them barbarians. Which, in a sense, they were like the the word barbaroi. Um, it's it's a Greek word, essentially like saying people that they, they sound like they're just going bar 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 bar. Like they they don't speak Greek, right? They speak native language. The ESV, I think, has a kinder translation for us. Just calls them natives of that island, and so the natives of Malta, they they take them in. And they warm them up, and they serve them, and they feed them. Uh, I think uh, they, they start a fire, right? Some of us might be thinking, ooh, that might be nice right now. So uh, it's a little, little chilly, right? The reality is, as the fire is starting, they're all trying to get together, 
pull together. And what happens? The Apostle Paul, he gets bitten by a snake. And they see this happen. And their immediate reaction is uh, the, pe the people of Malta. They say, yeah, he's a murderer. <laughs> he was looking to escape justice and good luck. You know, we, we see this in scripture. You know, you run from a bear and then put your hand on the wall inside the house and get bitten by a snake, right? Same sort of thing. Uh, they, they worship, in fact, a, a god called justice. You've probably seen images of this god, right? The, the, the figure holding the um, balances, if you will, the scales, and blindfolded, blind justice, right? Same, same kind of deal there going on. And so they, they thought at first, he's obviously a murderer. God wasn't going to let him, justice wasn't going to let him get away. Until the Apostle Paul shook it off, and everyone's watching. Is he going to swell up? Is he going to get sick? Nothing. He's fine. Now we look at this, and I'll, I want to point out, like, today on the island of Malta, there are no venomous snakes. And so there are questions, like, was this a miracle? Was this um, a rattlesnake that got Paul and, and it was just a miraculous kind of deal? Uh, certainly that's, that's how the people of Malta understood this because they're, they're calling him a god at this point. But it could have just been that it looked like a venomous snake and it wasn't and whatever. Either way, we see, we see the case being that Paul remains calm, shakes it off, goes about his business. And so we, we have the serpent biting Paul, but what, what was Paul doing as he got bit by the snake? Anyone? He's helping make the fire, specifically gathering sticks, right? So serpents and sticks, those are the two S words here we can remember for this part. And, you know, think about this. They'd just gotten off of a shipwreck. It's cold and tired. I mean, does Paul have every excuse to maybe say, ah, I'm going to set this one out, team. <laughs> and who is this we're talking about? Oh, yeah, the Apostle Paul, right? You know, kind of big deal, wrote 13 books of the Bible. The Apostle Paul had, had visions from God, was called up to the third heaven, had a revelation from Christ at his conversion on the road to Damascus. The Apostle Paul, he, he's kind of a big deal, plants a lot of churches. The, the Apostle Paul is someone that we look back to today, 2,000 years later, and we still say his writings are super impactful for our lives as Christians. And yet the Apostle Paul as lofty as of a figure as you're going to get in Christianity, besides Jesus himself, wasn't above picking up sticks. Wasn't above the mundane. Luther, Martin Luther in the 16th century, he talked about uh, what, what it looks like to, to be a, a spiritual 
person and to live a spiritual life as a follower of Christ. And in that day, there was a lot of emphasis on the monasteries. Luther himself had been a monk. You go into a monastery, you silent, you know, vows of silence and meditating all day, and you know, you kind of removed yourself from society in some sense. And yet Luther says that the most spiritual act is a mom wiping her baby's bottom. It's the mundane, it's the ordinary, and yet it's the things that God has created us for. That as Christians, no matter how impressive our resume looks, we're never above picking up sticks. You know who's really good at uh, thinking they're above picking up sticks? Pastors. I preach the word and administer the sacraments. I've got important, lofty, spiritual things to do, right? Uh, My personal life, one of the things I do is make my bed during the day. And as I do so, I remind myself, I'm not above this. In fact, uh, not even close. And most of you are probably sitting, yeah, Larry, you're, you're not above that. Make your bet, right? So, but, but there is something about just the mundane of going through, tucking the sheets, right, putting the pillows back in place, that you know, I, whether I'm a pastor, a father, no matter where I'm, what stage in life I'm at, that, that is something that reminds me I'm not above the ordinary, the mundane. So we, we see this account uh, of, of Paul uh, and serpent and sticks. And then a little bit later, still on the island of Malta, Paul has been there. We, we know that Paul and, and their crew is there for, I think, three months. As they think about it, they have to get their travel plans reorganized now that their ship is no longer and all that sort of stuff. They have to, they've bailed all their food and provisions out, so they have to regather monies, all these sorts of things. And during that time, Paul meets uh, Publius. Publius is the, the chief of the island, and he's a leading figure. Publius was super hospitable to Paul. Probably saw, hey, this guy just shook off a snake. Um, I want to get to know him a little bit, right? So it takes him in. Paul comes to find out that Publius's father is sick with dysentery. He has a fever. He has dysentery. Yes, dysentery is not just uh, from Oregon Trail. It's a real disease, right? And and, uh, Paul goes to Publius's father and heals him. Beautiful, right? And the island sees what happens. Probably this is a big deal, well known on the island. His dad gets better. <laughs> We're going to keep going to this guy. He shakes off a snake. He heals Publius's dad. Um, all the sick from the island come to Paul to be healed. And then there, there, there's some discussion about, well, okay, what, what did this look like? The, the Greek text here 
actually is is fairly mundane. The world the word for being healed it's just a medical term that is regularly used in in medical world. And so there's some questions like what well, what did that look like? Hmm. Well, who is with Paul on this journey? Any any ideas? Luke. Luke does a really good job throughout the book of Acts of subtly inserting himself into the narrative. It's the pronouns. Again, we see, I think, verse 10. It's us, it's we. Luke was there. What's Luke's profession? He's a physician. So, maybe, quite possibly, yeah, there are some mir miraculous things happening here. But maybe Luke, the doctor, is just helping. Maybe, maybe this is the first example we have in Christianity of a medical missionary. <laughs> and, it's, and so I, I highlight these two things because theologically, we understand that heaven and earth, the miraculous and the mundane, the spiritual and the material are actually quite close to each other. I, I found this Venn diagram, and I, I think it's, it's helpful. We've got our earthly realm over here. We've got our heavenly realm over there. And the kingdom on earth, it's here. But sometimes I'm afraid that we in the church and in the world, we separate the two so that they're not overlapping Venn diagram kind of circles anymore, but they're separate from one another. You've got your spiritual and you've got your material and never the two shall meet. Maybe people don't say that, but let me give some examples of, of how I think this, this can play out. So I'll start with uh, clergy and laity. How many times do people come to a pastor and say, Pastor, can you pray for me? Yes, I can pray for you. Pastors pray for, for you. But I like to respond saying, can I, can I pray with you? Right. There's something that, like, I, I'm, I'm Larry, <laughs> and I'm really intentional about how I carry myself and present myself. I'm not wearing a robe right now because you're not wearing a robe. I'm Larry. Paul is Paul. Larry happens to be called into the office of pastor, and it's a, ho a holy high calling from God, and I'm not trying to uh, diminish that, but I also don't want me to look that much different than you, because you're not wearing robes. I talk casually in, in, the, in my sermons, and instead of pronouncing the word God with 18 syllables, God, right, you know, or Jesus, right, uh, for, for a reason, because I don't talk like that on the other side 
of the church on the way out. I realize different contexts can call for different uh, ways that pastors carry themselves, but here's why, if you ever wondered, why I am the way I am. Take it or leave it. Uh, but, you know, kind of beyond, or going with that, so the spiritual and the, and the material, another place that I think we can separate these things are, are what's happening right here, Sunday morning, in the church building, as you're sitting in pews and singing songs, and then what happens Monday through Saturday, and we can separate those so that the two don't look that much like each other. I've, I've heard numerous times people talk about, yeah, well, I, I was brought up in the church. I went to Lutheran school my whole life, and I can't remember praying with my parents when I was growing up. Like it was almost like they're two separate realities and they didn't really have a lot to do with each other. Or parents who come to church every day or every week, and then they sound more like the, the sailors on the, the ship Monday through Saturday than they do the Apostle Paul or Christians, right? Uh, somewhere else that I think that we can separate the spiritual and material would be body and soul. We sometimes think about the spiritual as kind of what's inside and, and um, it's, it's, it's separate from this body that we have, this broken body. We almost can go as far as like seeking to escape our body because of the pain and hurt that we experience in our bodies. The reality is, as Christians, we understand that God created humans, body and soul, and that God redeemed humans, body and soul. What, one of the things that we say that we believe, that we believe, teach, and confess is in the resurrection of the dead. We're not simply looking to escape the body, to die and go to heaven. But we're waiting for that day that Jesus comes back, and when he comes back, he gives us new, perfect bodies. It's going to be awesome. My hips won't be artificial anymore. Heart attacks aren't going to be a reality anymore. Cancer, dysentery, uh, gone. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. These are the things that we can separate, and, and, and I kind of covered this already, but let me just say, like, everyday jobs, whether you're a pastor or whether you're, you work for the, the town or the city of Frisco, right, or wh whether you work in a store or, or a paralegal or you, you uh, work with uh, caring for uh, sewers and the water system, right, in, in the town, or, or you're a teacher or you're a doctor, and we have all of these, I mean... This is the easiest part of my sermon. I, I just look out, and this is what you guys do. You're bankers. And, you know, and, and it's all spiritual. See, the, the, this is 
the, the reality of what our Lord Jesus brings. He doesn't pull us out of the world, the mundane, the ordinary, the, the uh, material, but he redeems it. When Jesus came and started his earthly ministry, beginning of Mark, I'm, I'm thinking Mark chapter 1 here, his words are that the kingdom of God is at hand. Let me go back here. Like, can you, can you feel it? Like, what's he saying? Those of you who are living right here, just reach out your hand. Reach out your hand. Here's the kingdom. It's right here. Jesus in the incarnation where, where God becomes human, brings the spiritual to the material in such a way that uh, not only did this happen at Jesus' birth, this is still our reality today. We forget this, I think, but Jesus sitting on the throne in heaven as he's been ascended into heaven, he's a human being with flesh and blood sitting there next to the Father and waiting to come back. And in the meantime, he's praying for us a whole lot and guiding us through this life. Jesus became as much with us as possible, except for sin. That's the only exception. Because he's redeeming the whole world. He's not just here to, to um, bring in some parlor trick miracles and heal a few people. He also works in the medicinal. And it's both, it, both are God. Right? Both, both are God's hand, whether it's through the miraculous or through, the, through medicine. God's hand is breaking into this world to the point where the, here, this image is a little bit more artistic way of showing maybe the same thing that, that we saw in that Venn diagram. But uh, you know, you've got the heavenly. You've got Jesus sitting on the throne bodily, in heaven, you've got the saints who have gone before us and the 12 apostles that are surrounding him, right? And, and, and you've got the angels. And then you've got the church here on earth, the church, the church militant as opposed to the church triumphant, we say. And here we are as the church gathered around the altar, gathered around the body and blood of Jesus, where he once again steps into our world, steps into our lives to be with us. And this is our reality. And I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's worth just me being quiet for a second. I'm looking at this picture. When Christ went to the cross, he went body and soul, dying for your body and soul so that you could have life in his name. 
when you are baptized into Christ. God, once again, using the ordinary, breaks into this world, breaks into your lives. Using the ordinary and doing something extraordinary. There's a collision between heaven and earth. And it was so good. Much better than the accident we saw out on uh, Highway 9 on the way to church today. <laughs> because this is an accident that uh, brings healing and restoration. When we take the, the body and blood of Christ, that, that's as close as we're going to get, friends, until Jesus returns. What do we say? It's the foretaste of the feast to come, the marriage feast, the, the Lamb's Supper, the Lamb's High Feast that we will celebrate in heaven or in the new creation, to be more accurate. So, how, uh, a couple thoughts regarding how that applies for us today. I've regularly use this, this phrase referring to our church, that we are literally on a mountain and figuratively on an island. Maybe the island is something like Malta. Right? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that no one got here by shipwreck, but we might have some snowboarders that are going to go in the half pipe at some point, right? So, that, so that's a thing. And yet the Lord has brought us here in various ways together to share the kingdom of God with this place. Just this past week, I had someone come up to me and say, hey, heard about the job opening at, at the Women's Resource Center. Do you think I could, think I could serve there? Yes. That looks a whole lot like... That, that Venn diagram I showed. Had another person say, hey, I'm aware of the challenges of schooling in the county and that public school isn't always teaching the, the things that we would like to, to have taught. Well, I heard DCC, uh, Dillon Community, is thinking about starting a church or starting a school. Why not us? What, what does that look like? And then I write, read an article in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Center Reporter, the newspaper, right? And it's, it's talking about micro ch, uh, schools, micro schools, like being a low cost, almost like a one room schoolhouse kind of deal. And that it's in during the pandemic, it's rolling out in various communities. How does this all come together? I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, I, I also uh, uh, know this, that I'm standing here and I'm looking at a doctor. And, uh, Colby, will you be my Luke, right? <laughs> you know, like, um, we're in this together, right? And there's by no means me saying that I am on the level of the Apostle Paul. Please do not go home and say that, right? But the, the, here's the reality. We get to do this together, and as we do so, we show the light of Christ to the world. To this day, the island of Malta is a predominantly Christian nation. They're honored 
that they are included in Holy Scriptures. They look back to this time when the Apostle Paul and Luke and others came, and they recognize like this was this was their conversion. This was their road to Damascus, if you will. <sighs> May we be faithful and and. Uh, bring glory to God and persist in our faith through time like, like them and like those who have gone before us so that Christ our Lord is glorified in this place and in our lives, both body and soul. Amen? Amen. Amen.